Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Last week, we started the sermon. um, I'm going to just uh, put put this again before us. um, Talking about 3D movies. If you've seen a 3D movie, raise your hand real high. Okay, if you've ever done the nerdy thing where you pull the glasses down while you're watching the 3D movie, keep your hand up. Yeah, that's that we're all that way. Um, <clears throat> because the way that they shoot the, the, that particular film, uh, you can kind of see what's going on. But last week we made the point, and this is an important thing to reiterate, that I mean, uh, we are made for life with Jesus and in a dimension that he's calling us to, inviting us to, um, even drawing us to, that we can't see without the proper set of glasses. We need to understand who he is so that everything else will make sense. Otherwise, we can kind of tell, kind of make out some stuff, but we really don't see uh, the reality. So last week we started um, with... Jesus is God, and today uh, we're going to kind of walk through the last part of that and then uh, into, into the next part. Because the thing about it is, if you went and saw a 3D movie, and it was awesome, you would walk out of that movie, you would put it on your socials, you would uh, uh, tell your friends, you would sit and have coffee with somebody and be like, dude, you got to go see the movie. You just have to. There, there is a, a witness part of that. There, there is a, a something in you that, that uh, compelled you um, out. You, you would share it as a witness. And so that's kind of uh, where we are as we get this thing started. John chapter 5, verse 30. I can do nothing of my own. This is almost summary from last week. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Just so that everybody's on the same page. Jesus heals the cat who'd been paralyzed for 38 years. He was there, healed him. Do you want to get well? Yes, I want to go. Okay, so rise and walk, take up your mat, don't ever go back. He does that. Then the religious police are particularly frustrated by this uh, because the movement of God always frustrates the religious police. But this is what happens. They get frustrated by this and they're like, who are you? They knew what he was talking about and what he was doing. Uh, They understood what he was claiming. And so they're really frustrated. Jesus consistently points to the fact that his will is melded with, connected to, um, uh, uh, unified with the Father's will. This is what he has been talking about. This is what he says now. Verse 31. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me. Um, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. Okay. So we're going to start with these witnesses. You've seen the movie. Now you're going to go out and tell the witness. I mean, you're going to be the witness and this, this is where we are. Three different witnesses. We're going to start uh, with the witness of the prophets. Look at verse 33. You sent to John, you sent to John. Now, John, when he's referring to that one, Jesus is speaking here. He's not talking about the one who wrote the gospel of John. He's talking about John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus. Now, the reason we say that is because Jesus is God. And the first witness that bears testimony to this is this uh, prophetic witness, this witness from the prophets. And over and over over again in the Old Testament... There's plenty of it in the first chunk of the Old Testament. There's a whole lot of it in the second uh, part of the Old Testament. Right there where you start with Isaiah and you get three huge prophetic books and you get 12 after that and you could just go through with a little pen and just all the things you read and be like, Messiah, 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 Messiah. Because over and over and over again, the witness of the prophets is there is God is sending a Messiah. He is sending a deliverer. He is sending sending a suffering servant who's going to bear the sins. He is sending people. Uh, who will 
excuse me, a, a person who will become uh, the son of man, who will rise to the throne at the right hand of God. Over and over and over and over and over again, we have all these witnesses. John is the culmination of that. He is the one who finally and fully stands and points and says, you want to know who he is? There he is. At the beginning of the gospel, John is described as one who bears witness to the light. And what did that witness look like? It was... Behold, the Lamb of God, chapter 1, verse 29. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There's this prophetic witness. John is the, uh, uh, the culmination of it. Um, uh, just can I give you a little pastoral parentheses here? Just here, here we go. You ready? Later in John's life, after he's been thrown into prison, he sent some people to Jesus to be like, hey, just so I'm clear. I didn't miss this, right? I got it right. Are are you really the one who's to come? Jesus didn't bash him for that. He didn't beat him up for that. He didn't say, oh my gosh, I mean, how are you? You're supposed to be. So I'm, I'm saying that because there are people in the room in the really cool black shirts. You just had an incredible week. There may come a point this week, this month, next week, next month, whatever it is, where something will come up in you where you kind of go, Wait, was all that real or did I miss it? I just want you to know, you can bring that doubt to Jesus just like you're bringing all of the joy and excitement that you feel right now. Pastoral parentheses over. Okay, John is the culmination of that. Uh, The reason Jesus points this out is verse 34. Not that the testimony I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He's wanting us to know that the things that God has been saying from the beginning, even starting back in Genesis chapter 3 where he says there's going to come somebody who's going to be a snake crusher. Amen and amen for that. He wants us to experience these things, know these things, so that we can experience the salvation uh, that he has for us. Jesus points this out for our salvation. And then their response, verse 35, he... Uh, he, uh, talking about John, John was a burning and shining lamp and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. John came, he bore witness. He was the culmination of all of this prophetic work that had been done here. This is the deal. Um, and they, they kind of liked John for a little bit and then they didn't. Just like they kind of liked Jesus for a little bit, and then they didn't. Sometimes our ideas about something are different than the reality of something. Anybody have that? ever had that moment? Sometimes even our ideas about who Jesus is or wh- who we wish he was is different than who he is. And that can be frustrating. So this is the prophetic, this is the prophetic witness um, that, that uh, uh, has been set out. The, the second one is in verse 36. The second witness, verse 36. But the testimony that I have is even greater than that of John. Well, holy smokes. What would be greater than that of John? I mean, just think about this. Like John, the, the, uh, the forerunner of the Messiah, the one that the uh, Bible calls kind of uh, in the spirit of Elijah, he's coming to do these. Inc- what would be even bigger than that? Keep reading. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. The works. So the, the second witness is the works that Jesus is doing. And you think to yourself, well, I mean, okay, this is cool. What, what all kind of works are, are we talking about here? Um, I just point this out to you one more time. John wrote the gospel so that we would believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and by believing, we would have life in his name. 
He wrote that's the reason. So when we look at these works, there's a reason why John included these. There's uh, seven different signs in the Gospel of John. If you're the person who grabs your phone and takes pictures every so often of slides, this is a good one. This is a big data dump right here, and I'm just going to let you uh, grab that and look at it, or you can find it later. Uh, but there are seven particular signs in the Gospel of John. They, John literally uses the word sign in accordance with each of these. The first one was the water um, into wine. When he did so, it was a sign that he, Jesus, was bringing a new covenant to bear for the people of God. And that covenant was stacked, just packed full of joy. The second one, he, when he cleansed the temple, um, that, that is a witness to, a sign that he is building a new temple, not out of brick and stones, but out of living stones, is how Peter reflects on it, out of people. He's taking up residence in his people. You as an individual person, he is taking up residence in, and then we as the people of God, he is taking up residence in. Thirdly, um, when he heals the nobleman's son from a distance, and what is that a sign to? It's a sign that he has power in his word to give life. Like there is power in his word. Remember what happened? And this is at the end of John chapter 4. The guy's like, dude, you got to come down and help me. Um, all these other people are doing other stuff, but you got to come, please, please, please come heal my kid. And Jesus is like, don't worry about it. Your kid lives. And kept on moving his way. He didn't come to where he was. He just like, I got you. And then he kept moving. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, in doing so, he gives life by his word. Then you've got the healing that, that uh, uh, follow, or excuse me, preceded this particular passage uh, just immediately. What healing is that? The one at the pool there. And what is that assigned to? It is a sign that there is power for wholeness. And this is what he wants to bring. He wants to bring wholeness to his people. And then uh, we'll look at it next week. The feeding of the 5,000, the multitude there. Um, what is that a sign of? It's a sign that Jesus is the bread of life, and that bread of life is our source of eternal life. In chapter 9, which we're going to get to in probably like... 2028. I don't know at this pace, but uh, in chapter nine, he heals the man born blind. And they say, do we never see anything like this before? The point is that Jesus gives sight to the blind. He is the one who gives spiritual sight to the spiritually blind as well. And then lastly, raising Lazarus. Um, from the dead. Uh, they specifically call it a sign in chapter 12. The story actually happens in chapter 11. But it is, a, it is the statement that Jesus Christ has the authority over death. Amen. He is the one who can overcome it. And he would and will um, as the text unfolds there. So these are the signs that point to who he is. And John tells us these. He's given us these stories. They use the word signs on purpose. So that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ and by believing we would have life in his name. This is the witness of the works. Thirdly, the witness of the Father. Verse 37, the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you've never heard, his form you've never seen. You don't have his word abiding in you for you don't believe in the one whom he has sent. So the witness of the Father. Two different times God supernaturally spoke to uh, um spoke to Jesus and, and um, uh, people around him kind of were able to step into that. And the, the gospels record these two different times. One was mentioned just a moment ago. Jesus said his baptism, when he goes down into the water, comes back out, two things happen after that. The spirit comes down and looked like a dove. And there was a voice from heaven. And what did it say? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Before he did anything good, 
like before he launched out into the world in ministry, before he did anything, God just spoke a word of affirmation over him. And then secondly, um, at what is called the Mount of Transfiguration, which is probably not a word that you use this week, and that's okay. Um, but this Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on the hill. Um, and there in that moment, his glory just comes busting through, so radiant and just full of glory that they're all like, ah, I can't see. And they kind of uh, fall down like they're going to sleep. And um, it's in uh, Moses and Elijah, Moses, the lawgiver, Elijah, the kind of uh, preeminent prophet show up. So you've got the law and the prophets and Jesus, the glorious one, Jesus in glory, law and prophets. This is how this goes. And Peter pipes up. He doesn't know what to say. And so... He speaks. Anybody else have that problem? I don't know what to say. So, you know, Peter says, hey, shouldn't we uh, like maybe build like three kind of monuments to this moment right here? You got Jesus and you got the Elijah and Moses. Like, should we just build three? The voice speaks. It says, hey, you knuckleheads, this is my beloved son, the only one who's radiating glory. You're not going to miss the one who is my son. He's like just shining. His glory cannot be contained. It is shining. The other two, they're pretty great, but don't miss this. There is one who is glorious and then everything else is like subservient to him. So Jesus said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You need to listen to him. Listen to him. The father speaks. Just note, right before Jesus steps into public ministry, The father speaks. And right before he turns his face toward Jerusalem to go to the cross, the father speaks. He speaks when he's readying you for something, and he speaks when he he knows it's about to get really hard on you. Jesus is God. You've got the witness of the prophets, witness of the works, and the witness of the father. So um, he leaves no doubt, no doubt at all, The father leaves no doubt um, that this is his son. So the the follow-up then is um, where, okay, this is Jesus is God. Where where do we find out what kind of God he is? And what's the answer? The scriptures. Jesus is revealed in the word. Jesus is God. And the, the God that he is, that kind of God is revealed in the scriptures. Look at verse 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. The reason why it's important to to remind ourselves that, that, that Jesus is revealed in the scriptures is because there are other sources... Other um, uh, uh, voices, other depictions, other options out there that would say things about Jesus that aren't necessarily true or would speak for him in ways uh, that he would not speak. So uh, we talked, I think I mentioned this in the 830 last week. I don't think I mentioned it here. But there's an AI Jesus now. Some guys got together and did the AI Jesus. You can ask him anything. And some of the funnier things have been asking Jesus about particular video games. And Jesus is like, excuse me, AI Jesus is like, well, I'm actually here just to spread love and mercy and compassion. But if you go through this door, da 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 and he gives you video game advice. Just to be clear, real Jesus would never do that. I mean, like, that's, 
The, the reason why I'm pointing these kinds of things out is because there are uh, people who claim to speak on his behalf or think that he is speaking specifically that are nothing like Jesus. And I'll just give you some examples of things that Jesus never said. Jesus never said, follow your heart. In fact, the consistent testimony of the scripture is, that's a really bad plan. Because the main place of the renovation and transformation that he is working in us is where? In our heart. That is a construction zone. So if you're following it, that's bad. That's a bad play. Jesus never said, um, God will never give you more than you can handle. He did say uh, that no temptation will overcome uh, you except what is common to man. That's 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And you're going to have a way out. That's true. But in terms of you not, uh, I mean, not having more than you can handle, I think actually God consistently gives us more than we can handle. Why? Because he wants us to depend on him and not ourselves. Because you offer yourself, you're like, hey, I can't do this, Father. I just can't do this. And he goes, good, we'll do it together. I don't think I can get up that mountain. Jesus says, come with me one step. And then the next day, you know what happens? Come with me one step. And all of a sudden, after a series of days, what do you find? Hey, I'm actually making some progress here. God, this weight that I am having to carry is too heavy for me. I am unable to do this. You have given me more than I can handle. And he says, good, go to sleep tonight. And you wake up tomorrow to new mercy. And your shoulders are a little broader. Your muscles may be just, they're sore, but they're a smidge stronger. He never said that. He never said that. Um, uh, Just... Shout out to the younger folks in the room. YOLO. Anybody down with YOLO? For everybody else who's not enlightened, would you just uh, help the crowd so that you know that YOLO means you only live once. Jesus is actually in pretty much contradiction of that. He's trying to let you in this life get ready for the second one. Make investments here that will make your second life, eternal life, that will make the life that lasts forever better there. Jesus never said being right is greater than being righteous. Because some of us are right, and when we win the argument, we lose the person. And social media is packed with that. As if you're going to meet Jesus and get applause for winning an argument on a social media platform. Jesus never said that humans are basically good. Created in God's image, yes. Utterly broken by sin, yes. Both. Uh, Jesus never said you deserve to be happy. In fact, he often says you need to put all of that to death and come follow me. Jesus here's, Jesus never said it's not that big of a deal. Like, especially when we approach sin, things that he... he oh, well, psh, I mean, honestly, it's not that big of a deal. Jesus said stuff like, dude, if, you're, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. What? If it causes, your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. What? Uh, apparently, it's a pretty big deal. 
So much so that the hyperbole, let's be clear, it is hyperbole, hyperbole that Jesus uses draws attention to the fact that he takes it pretty seriously. And we probably need to also. The God, the God that Jesus is, that God is revealed in the scriptures. And all the other voices around and all the other options that want to speak into our lives and into our world that would want to guide us differently than Jesus is guiding us, they need to be quiet so that we can hear the voice of God. They need to be set aside. They need to be blocked out. They need to be turned off. They need to be put down so that we can hear the voice of Jesus who is actually speaking. So, I'm saying this to say, verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it is they that bear witness about me and you refuse to come to me that you would have life. Here's the deal. There's a way to read the Bible that misses the central meaning of the Bible altogether. There's a way to read the Bible that misses the central message of the Bible altogether. You think that it's this, they're testifying about me. That's what Jesus is saying. When you do, two things are true. Number one, uh, you will have to find, um, you, you will have to find a, you will need, if you will, glory from somebody else or something else. Uh, look at verse 41. Um, I do not receive glory from people. And then skip down to verse 43. I have come in my father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and don't seek the glory that comes only from God? You will need glory from someone else. But what you will need if you um, consistently look at the scriptures and don't see Jesus, if you consistently don't take the time to listen to his voice, if you get spun up or you spin out on other voices, here's what will happen. You will need Somebody to validate your life, somebody to validate your existence, somebody to give you a kind of purpose and weightiness for being here. You can pursue it in jobs, you can pursue it in relationships, possessions, technology, uh, boredom, drugs, whatever it may be to uh, uh, deal with that. But you will need something. You will need to turn your soul fully to someone. You will need glory from something instead of receiving it, the glory that comes from the Father. Secondly, you will have no love for God. Verse 42, that's the one we skipped over. But I know that you do not have the love of God within you. The love of God and the fruit of the love of God will not be produced if you do not follow the Jesus who's revealed in the scriptures. If you don't, you will not love God. You won't. So I want to bring this down to where we are and kind of flip these, these two on our head. I'll take them in reverse order. Um, some people read the scriptures like it's their uh, uh, yearbook from high school. Because as soon as you get it, what do you do? You go looking for you. Is that fair? That, that's what we do. We go look at, oh, look, here I am in this. Oh, there's that club. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Ha, ha, ha. That was a funny moment. Ooh, that's not a good picture of me. Whatever it is, you start looking for you. And here's the deal. If you read the scriptures like that, you will consistently look for affirmation and love for yourself. Good. This is basically what you're doing. Your, your uh, life will be turned away. You will not have the love of God in you because you're always looking for you in the scriptures. Don't make that mistake. The second one, this is the... Second illustration, but the first uh, bullet there, um, when it talks about needing a different glory, um, you will need to find something satisfying. And so many of us take this and we look at it like the IHOP menu. You know what a Rudy Tootie Fresh and Fruity is supposed to look like? 
But if you sat down with just the menu, and then the lady comes over and says, hey, what do you have? You'd be like, yeah, I think I'm actually good. I just want the picture. Get out of my, get off my table. I need to earn some money here. Get out. Nobody thinks that the picture actually satisfies. There's a way to read this. There's a way to read this that paints pictures that you and I may very well uh, look at and go, oh, that's a nice picture. But we never actually interact with the person that is being pictured. This is the menu. Jesus is the meal. We are supposed to turn our eyes to him. Turn our eyes to him. So we're not going to read the Bible in a way that misses the central meaning. We're going to um, uh, let... Him be the one who sets the agenda and we will find ourselves. When we, when we look for Jesus everywhere and we interact with the Jesus who lives in these pages, who, who speaks from these pages, we will find ourselves satisfied instead of dissatisfied or unsatisfied um, because we're missing the meal. Second thing, quickly. Verse 45. Don't think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses. Moses. On whom you've set your hope for... If you believe Moses, you don't believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you don't believe his writings, how are you going to believe my words? How are you going to believe my words? Jesus is revealed in the word. And if we read the Bible in the wrong way, we will miss the central meaning altogether. And when, when that happens, what happens? Missing Jesus means being condemned by the people that we think are heroes. I'll give you a, here's Moses, a true hero. Because Moses was consistently pointing to Jesus. That's what true heroes do. They consistently point to Jesus. If we read, though, incorrectly, if we don't look for Jesus in the places where he's speaking to us and, and showing himself to us in the scriptures, um, we, will, we will be condemned, if you will, by our own heroes. Either those who are truly heroic and point to Jesus, or those who aren't actually heroic, who are just showing us their inadequacy. We have plenty of people in the world today who speak about things like faith and God and important things like this, but they're fake heroes. <laughs> they, they, they cannot, they do not point to Jesus. Um, they point to agendas. Uh, they point to platforms. They point to parties. They point to any number of things. What they show in that moment is that they're not true heroes. And by doing so, that they show their brokenness. And that, that right there, that we put our hope in something like that will be the judge of us. You think, you think you got Moses here? Listen, Moses is pointing to me. Or you think you're going to listen to that guy, that person, that talk show, this voice, that thing, whatever. No. Look how small they are. Look how unheroic they actually are. We will be condemned by us putting so much hope in something so inadequate. He alone is God. The kind of God he is, is revealed in the scriptures. And what the scriptures consistently say is that, hey, you need someone better than this. Abraham, he's a good guy to follow, but we need a better Abraham to follow. Oh, we have one. His name is Jesus. Moses, he's he speaks and he tells us about the wisdom of God revealed in the law. But we need a better lawgiver than Moses because he stuck it in the ditch too. We have a better leader than that. 
and his name is Jesus. David is a great king, but he's not perfect. We need a perfect king. Good news. We have a perfect king. And over and over and over again, the, the scriptures point to Jesus. And when it all comes down, I want to reiterate what was said earlier. What the scriptures say is there is a God and he has revealed himself in Jesus. And what we know is that Jesus loves you. He loves you. Jesus loves you. This I know. How? It's because the Bible tells us so. And so no matter how you stepped into today, I want you to know that you are loved by the God of the universe. He loved you so much, yes, to reckon with whatever sin is in your past. He sent Jesus to do exactly that. But more, he loves you so much that he will not let you stay the same. He is intentionally in pursuit of you to bring about transformation so that your life begins to look genuinely different. This is the God of the scriptures. This is the God that is revealed in Jesus. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, give us ears to hear, eyes to see. And um, for the moments that we have here, just a few, I I pray that you would uh, let whatever you've said to us here, however you've spoken to us here, um, you would let the individualized kind of gift that you've given us here through your word. Let that, for some of us, it may need to pierce down. But for all of it, it needs to get down to the deepest levels of who we are. So please let that be our reality. We don't want to pretend to be smarter than the people who were there seeing you do the things you did and listening to the things that you said. We want to be shaped by what you say in your word that you so graciously preserved for us over these couple of thousands of years here. We want to be shaped by it. So grant us that now in Jesus' name. Amen.